20, I'm in case emergency. Ain't no cap in my rock. Really, I know it's the truck. More profit mean extra. Emma White out full of pressure. That cereal milk smoking right. But that Obama right, so special. Kansas City, I'm a chief. Shout out to K5 on this one. Country thinking I was hushing. I always had it on me. Booming like OJ the Juice. Till a nigga told on me. Run down this relentless. Ain't no love, we ain't friendly. If she want me on him. No the law, she get the business. No the law, still the model. Empire. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome in. This is Birds of a Feather with your boy Q City. We're going to look back at the Hawks last week, see how we went one and two, where we could do better. Look ahead next week's games, check around the league and ATL, do a little gimme props on the betting points and some city talk at the end. So come along with me and enjoy this ride. All right, man. So last week was a one and two type of week. I, I definitely considered us being two and one, but seeing where we are injury wise, I can't be overly upset on the fact that we just truly weren't able to muster out wins. I think the theme of the week was not being able to finish and in critical moments, you know, really shit in the bed, you know, for lack of better terms. So uh, start off the week with a loss against Charlotte. They straight up put the bench mob on us. They they were missing players because of COVID. I'm going to get into that uh, in ATL a bit on why I think that's happening. But they they had no LaMelo, and they only had 10 active players. Miles Bridges went off. 32-4-4. Um, they really needed his scoring. Kelly Oubre had 28 points, and then they got uh, Cody Martin in. And he was able to get 19-6-4, subbing in for LaMelo. Overall, with them not having Rozier or Melo on the floor and being able to blow us out in this way, and Hayward didn't have a good game. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that we matched up defensively against him. He's just, he's not really who his salary dictates that he is anymore. But the fact that he was able to not have a great game and us still lose, you know, even though it was by a small margin was absolutely terrible now trey had 25 15 and 4 he was getting people involved herder had 28 3 and 2 but it's a little sneaky with those numbers because you're going against backups you're going against backups collins had 31 4 and 12 and he was eating the whole game but it was a it was a very fast-paced game charlotte gets up a bunch of shots last time they played us they got up i think it was 101 shots and in this game they got up 90 so, you know, they're very, very big on up and down the floor, getting up shots. Uh, they were able to get 53% from the field, you know, and this is with backup players. You know, now granted, all players that play in the NBA are NBA players, but you're also going against NBA talent. And so you don't expect guys to run off on the way they do. Uh, both teams shot identical from three, 46.3%. Honestly, what it boiled down to is just we were down by we got outscored by three points. No, we got outscored by eight points in the second quarter, and then we only outscored them by five in the fourth. It was pretty much neck and neck the whole way, and we just weren't able to make a push. Now, late game situationally, Herter missed when we were down four, and then Trey missed down two, and it, it's been it was a theme throughout the week of just like late game situationally not being able to close out teams in a close game. And 
part of that is quote unquote what people call the clutch gene. If you listen to Mike and Kobe, LeBron, they'll all say that they missed far more game winning game time shots than they ever made. You know what I'm saying? But from a fan's perspective, looking at it, it seems as though we can't ever make that crucial play in a close game. I don't want to put uh, I don't want to put us in that boxing category as just, you know, choke artist type situation. Like, no, that's not the that's not what I'm saying. But to to be real about it, I think part of it is coaching. Of course, part of it is injuries. But another part of it is if you're in these type of games late, close, you got to be the type of player, the star type of player. And I'm speaking directly to Trey about Trey, the star type of player to close those type of games out. It can't be a matter of not being able to put the ball in your hands late. And then it hurts Trey doubly because you have to take him out the game. Like a lot of small guards, you know, like the Warriors do it with Steph. It's not like a referendum on him. It's just real. You burn a lot of timeouts and, you know, you're very situational with your out-of-bounds plays because they will attack him defensively. And you've got to take him out the game defensively late because you don't want him to get pinpointed. So... It was it was a very frustrating loss because there's no reason we should have lost this game to them. You know, this team specifically was not a normal Hornets team and they have been playing great ball this year. Not great. Great. They've been playing good ball this year. They're above 500. They're a decent team. They're very, very interesting and fun to watch. But that's not the team we played. That's not the team we lost to. It, It was. I mean, for lack of better words, it was an embarrassment losing to this type of team. Um, the next game we went, played Minnesota in Minnesota. Cat was able to play this game, but D'Angelo Russell was out. The big, big part about this game right here is that we had a big enough lead that when we hit that empty tank in the fourth quarter, we, we were able to withstand it. You know what I'm saying? Because overall, we had no business being in this game in the fourth quarter, only scoring 19 points. It, it was it was a terrible fourth quarter. But we we were so far ahead. One like the game ended 121 to 110. We were so far ahead that like they weren't able to catch back up to us. Now the Warriors were playing. I mean the Warriors. The Timberwolves were playing like playoff type minutes. Cat played 41 minutes, had 31, 16, and 6. If you remember me telling you last week, Capella is a good shot blocker, but if you get him on the low blocking post, neither him nor Collins can really sit with like a real post player. You know what I'm saying? And that's why Embiid eats on us the way he does. And Cat ate on us this night. Like he was able to get any and everything he wanted um, at all three levels. I think he knocked down one three. Ant-Man had 20 and 7, and then <laughs> old Mike Beasley, Showtime Beasley off the bench, uh, he had 24 points. You know what I'm saying? So you look at it, and it's like, okay, these guys really shouldn't hang with us. They're a decent team in the in the West, but, like, we're, we should be an upper echelon team in the East and in all of football. So, I mean, all of basketball. So there's no reason for them to be able to hang with us like this. Lawu Cabarro, we finally got some production out of the small forward position. He scored 23 points, and it's hard starting him. It is hard starting him. He is, as a wing, honestly, he is about fourth string. 
But when Bogey's out, Reddish is out, and uh, Hunter's out, this, this is who you're playing at the wing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got Herter at, at one end, and Cam wasn't back this game yet. You got to have Gallo scoring off the bench. You are thin. You are thin, and Solomon Hill has been out, you know what I'm saying, with, with injury. So you're not even playing him. It's hard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's, it's tough. And so you're playing this guy, and he's a replacement-level player. But getting 23 points out of him was huge. You know, he damn near was the margin of victory just by having him on the floor. His plus minus was amazing this game. I, he was really in good points. But to be fair, his contemporaries on the other side, he guarded Ant-Man for a little bit. But for the most part, he was guarding a very, very young uh, wing player in Vanderbilt and um, the other cat, the other cat from Auburn. You know, no, I'm talking about the other cat from Auburn. They're able to. They're able to get past it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're playing against... Yeah, you're a six, seven-year pro. You're playing against guys who are very young. You're able to move. You're able to do things. We signed him to a very manageable manageable contract, so it's not unheard of for him to be able to thrive in his role. He's not supposed to be playing. And as fucked up as that sounds, like him, Zhang, they're, they're not supposed to be playing. So you can't get mad when they're on the floor and they're not, like, great players. Uh, Trey Young, another nice night, 29, 11, and 7. And then Gallo gave us 20 off the bench. Uh, they missed a lot of open looks, the Timberwolves. They missed a lot of open looks, and we only had 20 points in the paint. We scored 51% from three and had 31 assists total, so secondary playmaking, which I've been harping on for the past couple episodes, couple weeks, means that like, we had 20 assists from players not named Trey, and that is awesome. Trey had a couple of hockey assists in on like I, I think when you delve into the numbers, he had eleven assists and then he had like four or five hockey assists, which is where you pass the ball and they immediately pass to a open guy and you know that leads to a score. Like bam bam type shit. Regardless, I was very happy with the ball movement and being able to score, just knock down open looks. Not being able to score in the paint is is being turning into a problem, you know, and what was overlooked very early in the season is that like we lost the points in the paint battle rarely, rarely in our first about 20 games. And now we're at the point where we almost can't win it. But overall, can't be too mad at, at a win. Then we get Friday night. National TV game. Looking good, looking big, bright lights, everyone down in Atlanta, lose to the Nets. And honestly, it wasn't losing to the Nets that bothered me. It was the fact that it was a fourth quarter collapse. It was just, just, we scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. How? How? Where, where you do that at? Like, Trey, uh, Trey had critical possessions down the stretch where he missed on a fast break and he missed a he missed a reverse layup inside, and he wasn't even drawn for the foul. He just smoked it, just just missed it. And I got to give KD props. Stepped up on the defensive end. We've all seen the meme where he's hugging Trey, but he stepped up on the defensive end late in the fourth quarter because Trey was killing him. He had 31, 10, and seven for the game. 
he was killing them. And in the fourth quarter, when no one else could score, he was the only offense, honestly and truly. Um, KD had 31, 6, and 5. Harden had 20, 11, and 5. He had a big three down the stretch, but that was the quietest 20 points I think I've ever seen anyone have. You know what I'm saying? He he wasn't out there beasting, blowing up the world. It was just kind of lollygagging, going along. He was playmaking very much. The guy that just is ridiculous, Cam Thomas out of LSU, kid, kid was on fire. He had 11 points, but it felt like so much more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he hit three threes out of his 11 points. So, you know, that was big. Collins and Herter both had 20 points. Well, Herter had 19, but uh, 20 and 19. Those were just as quiet as Harden's. You know what I'm saying? This was really a KD versus Trey type of matchup. And when it came down to it, Trey just was unable to make those crucial shots down in the end where KD was. You know, uh, welcome back, Cam. He had four points. Gallo had 13 off the bench, which was just as big as Cam's uh, 11. We couldn't buy a bucket. Same thing happened in the 76ers game where we just go ice cold at the end when we played up there. And we shot 39% from the field. 39% as a team from the field. That's that's rough. That's rough. That I don't know too many games you're going to win or too many games you're even in. This was an eight-point game, but in all truth, honestly, this was a four-point game for most of the fourth quarter. You know what I'm saying? And we we carried a lead going into the fourth quarter. It, be it slight. Um, the Nets, this was interesting to me. The Nets hit six threes on 23 attempts. So this is 26%. Super low, but they only attempted 23. It's almost as if, and the rookie made three of them. Harden made one, so what? KD had to make the other two? It was almost like they saw like, okay, we're not really hitting these like we need to so we're gonna get inside and they dominated a 66 to 50 in points in the paint the hawks made 11 on 34 attempts now six percent higher 32 percent but they shot nine more attempts and made five more made five more threes it sounds great but when you look at it, that's that whole live by the three, die by the three. And the thing that killed us was two missed layups, being able to penetrate and get the ball inside. One of them was on a fast break. This live by the three, die by the three thing, I guess it works a lot, especially considering where we are right now in terms of health, because we, we don't have, you know, dynamic wing players right now. But it is it is very, very hard to watch knowing that like if we get two or three threes not to fall in a row on possessions, we're giving up two on the other end. Uh Lewu Cabarro, zero points in 31 minutes. Now here's the thing with Hunter. Here's the thing with Hunter. When we played the Nets last time on national TV as well, Hunter only had, I want to say it was either four or six points. KD had 26, 27. But he made KD work for that. He made KD work for it. Caparo didn't make KD work at all. At, at all. And Herter was, Herter can't check him at all. Like, but you expect Herter not to be able to check him. Even though he's a big body, KD moves like a guard. You know what I'm saying? And 
it's an underrated facet of his game. People always say, oh, he's seven foot, he moves like a guard. But, like, you don't expect most bigger uh, two guards to check small, shifty point guards. Kind of like if you look at Middleton, the Bucks almost never put Middleton on somebody like Trey, even though he's a long, lanky defender. They won't put him on somebody like Russell Westbrook because, like, they're fast, they're shifty, they're mobile. You know what I'm saying? So even though Herter is 6'7", six, 6'8", six, him checking KD is is always a mismatch, not only in the height, but also in the fact that KD can blow by him. Um, and he did it to Cabrera all day long. Hunter was able to stay with him, and Cabrera was not at all. It, it, was, it was a bad game, especially down late. Overall, we're getting guys back. We're getting guys healthy. Um, Cam was able to come back. We're still downhill. We're still down bogey. We're still down uh, Hunter and Anegwu. Anegwu. All those guys should be back around January. It's going to be rough. You know, it, it is. It's going to be rough. But until they get back, Trey's got to hold down the fort. He is going bananas. He's on fire right now. 27, 12, and 6 over the past week. And granted, he's one and two right. We're one and two right now, but Trey's carrying us, and we really live and die by him. Uh, we're getting deep into our bench, like I said, playing like fourth string guys, and the late game decisions are killing us. I can't really overly blame coaching. Coach Nate is really setting in a defensive mindset, and honestly, we just got to make shots. We we just got to make shots and make sure that the ball is finding the right person. Overall, it wasn't a great week. I don't I don't believe that like we should be proud of this week. But really honestly, the game against Charlotte was the one that killed us. Had we gone two and one, it's what I predicted last week. So let's just go ahead, flesh this one, look forward to next week. All right, so we're checking in the next week. Next week, we got Houston. Eight and eighteen. They're on like a seven game win streak. Uh or they may they might have lost. They might have went ahead and broke the streak. But either way, eight and eighteen. They got Christian Wood. He's averaging sixteen and eleven right now. He's about their only threat offensively and defensively. Honestly, uh, Jalen Green and KPJ are out. This is very reminiscent of the Hornets game. There's no reason to lose against them. Uh, they're a super young team. I'm not sure if Eric Gordon's going to be playing or not. He has been playing through this uh, little win streak. But to be honest with you, Eric Gordon should be traded. Eric Gordon should not be there. It's just very hard to trade his contract. You know, I, I consider him just like John Wall. Put him on ice and wait till you can trade him. Uh, that that one's pretty much, that. that's a win. It's an easy win. It's at home. Uh, Got to happen. Then we're going down to Orlando. And like I said last, like I said last uh, time we played them, Orlando's young. Orlando, Orlando is a get right game. They are in a rebuild. I'm going to talk about, you know, rebuilds and city talk, but they're in a rebuild. There's no reason to, you know, play around, fuck around with them. They are five and 23. This is a bad team. It, it, it's overrated in the NBA about facing bad teams, because like, here's the thing. You can have a really crappy record against good teams teams over 500 teams over uh teams over a 750 win percentage 
all those things. You know what I'm saying? You can you can definitely have a crappy record against those teams and still make the playoffs easily just by winning against the bad teams. <laughs> just just win against the bad teams. Cole Anthony out here averaging 20 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. Um and Wendell Carter Jr is at like 13 and 10. They don't really have anyone. Uh what's his name? Fultz. Markel Fultz was first pick of the draft. He's sitting in there. He's not really doing shit right now. Um Bamba is coming off the bench at this point. So and to be honest with you, he should really be a trade piece by now. He should he should be a trade piece at this point. But either way, like this Orlando team is is bad. They are bad and there's no reason for them to stick with us. This this should be a very easy win even though it's down in Orlando. Last game of the week, it's on a Friday. So Y'all know the deal. I'm going to send the pod out later on Friday or Saturday, really. It's versus the Nuggets. This is just Jokic and the Temptations at this point. Like, it, he's a one-man band. They're 13-13 and 13 right now. He's really the same thing that Trey's doing, carrying the team, you know, with a lone superstar. He really doesn't have any help. Uh, he's at 26, 13 and a half, and 7. Aaron Gordon is like 14 and a half and 5 kind of a little bit of help you know what i'm saying but to be honest with you it's it's Jokic by itself now granted he can eat capella alive like he did in the last matchup we only see him twice in we only see him twice in a year we're on one against him we should be able to even up the series because they're coming down here but regardless you got a one-man band you should be able to stop that team by themselves it's going to be, I, I consider that our toughest game of the week. But to make up for last week, this should be a 3-0 week. Easily, easily a 3-0 week. You've got two terrible uh, two terrible teams that you're facing. And then you've got one decent team that, you know, has the, the MVP, the league MVP, reigning MVP on it. So you can't just, you know, bypass that. But as of now, they have no other, you know, offensive threat defensively they're not a super great team and they lose their advantage against you because they play in the mile high stadium and whatnot and so they're down here they they lose the one element they usually have against you this should be an easy game easy week three and oh um i i don't think i can accept a two and one week this week this has got to be a three and oh type of week hey you guys it's your boy q city as you know i love atlanta it's teams, it's venues, but more importantly, it's culture creators. 15XV, like the Roman numeral, is a brand line dedicated to capturing the essence of the city. Their gifted artists have clothing that not only show their support for the thriving Atlanta teams, but also show their true talent. Black created, owned, and operated, 15 has a special offer for Birds of a Feather listeners. Go to 15.weebly.com and type in promo code QCity15 to get 15% off on your first order. That's QCITY15 for 15% off on your first order. 15FIFTXVN.weebly.com. Excellence is waiting for you. Now, if we go ATL around the league, 
you got to look at it. And right now, the Bucks are rounding into a championship team. They are they are on a roll. They moved up to the second seed. They're uh, they they're just they're awesome right now. The Hawks, when when you look at the playoff picture, they've got to be a top four seed. They've between spots one and I want to say eleven. There's only like a seven game separation between four and ten. It's really a, a matter of three games. You know what I'm saying? The Nets are the Nets and Bucks, and I hate to say it, the Bulls are considered top competition right now. But pretty much from four to ten is all bunched in together, and the Hawks can definitely get up to that uh, four seed spot, which I, I feel like you're going to need. That's the next step that you've got to take. The Sixers are coming up. Like I said, they were going to they were going to get in. You know what I'm saying? As soon as MB got healthy. They were going to go ahead and sneak into the playoff picture. I don't see them being a top four seed this year, especially without Simmons. People can try to downplay him. Embiid's good, but like Simmons is what made that team elite defensively. And Matisse Thybul, he helps, you know, but they were two all-NBA defenders. Now you got one all-NBA defender. And Embiid, although he's stepping up on the defensive end, he's not as good defensively as a lot of people think. He's a big body. But you could definitely attack him defensively with the Rudy Gobert syndrome. Putting a stretch four or five out there, playing small ball and pulling them out to the three, pulling them out uh, on the perimeter, forces them in the zone, and then you just shoot over the top of that. So I actually don't see the 76ers going super far unless you have a conventionally, like you face a conventional opponent. Uh, the Rockets on a nice little win streak. Uh, they were It was like seven games. They end up losing to Memphis. It was It was fun. It was fun to watch. Um, they're a bad team, but bad teams can have good stretches, and you need to learn to win. Like, there's no there's no substitute for winning. There's no substitute in learning to win. You gotta you gotta learn to win. The Lakers are struggling a bit. Ah, everybody talked about that roster being built funny and whatnot. Uh, super old but when LeBron's getting triple doubles and y'all still losing it's it's rough it is rough out there in Lakertown I think they're at the uh, six or seven spot over there in the west and considering that's a win now championship mode team that's definitely not the place you need to be Miami COVID so there used to be this thing called the South Beach flu which is you go to Miami and then you just mysteriously sick for game day or the game after. Usually it's hangover, cocaine, parties, girls. Hey, you're you're young, successful men in Miami, like making a whole lot of money. Players who live in Miami, players who play in Miami and live in Miami, especially in the Heat organization, are super like tight knit and like on their shit and whatnot and so they usually don't succumb to it and they usually have super disciplined teams you know what i'm saying that has to go with pat riley running fitness tests and all that but for players who come down there and i i hate to say it players who cities don't have the type of nightlife that miami has they they succumb to it and two teams have been hit hard with COVID after playing Miami, the Bulls and the Hornets. And the league can act like it's not happening, but like 
that is exactly what is happening. You go to Miami, you go out and party, and then, bam, you get hit with COVID. Because no one's wearing masks in nightclubs. Everybody's partying, having fun, having a good time. And most young people feel like they're not susceptible to the virus anyway. I'm I'm 28 years old. Nobody I know is overly concerned about the virus, even people with kids. You know what I'm saying? It's it's us- It's more so the mindset of like, yo, when can we get over this so we can get back to partying? You know? And so... I just think it's very, very funny and that the league hasn't actually put any um, penalties on the teams. You know, you don't want to go back to last year where the COVID guidelines was basically like you play a game and then you got to go straight back home. But if the league starts having to postpone or cancel games or loses revenue because of like this Miami COVID situation, I, I think some of those COVID uh, protocols from last year are going to start coming back. You look at the standings, the Nets are still in the top spot. The Bucks, like I said, they've moved up two spots. They're in the second seed. The Bulls are at three right now. They, you know, got bumped down a little bit. The Heat are up a spot. They're in the fourth spot. The Cavs are holding on tight. They're at that five spot right now, and they moved up uh, from last week. Um... They're in the five spot. The Lakers, I mean, not the Lakers. The 76ers are in the sixth spot. The Wizards are in the seven. They moved down tremendously. They moved down four spots. The uh, Hornets have flip-flopped with the Hawks. The Hawks are down uh, to the nine spot. Celtics are at the 10 spot. Just dumpster fire. Um, The Raptors and Knicks have both fallen out, and they're sitting at 11 and 12. The Pacers have the same amount of wins as the Knicks, but no one... It's funny how we cover teams because because they made the playoffs last year and had a third team all NBA and Julius Randle. People look at the Knicks and they're like, oh, they're, you know, still have a chance at everything they want for this season. And granted, they're only two, three games out of the eight spot. And then people look at the Pacers and be like, oh, they're fucking hopeless. They have the same amount of wins as the Knicks and the Raptors. They all got 12 wins. Um, Then the Magic and the Pistons at the bottom with five and four wins, respectively. Those teams are both terrible, and when the Hawks play them, they should win. Hey, guys. Q-City here. Me, personally, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. But the one thing that's always held me back, not having my credit right. Credit is super important, especially where we are in life. Go to CourtneyHagans.com to get your credit right. Bad credit ain't cute. CourtneyHagans.com. That's Courtney, H-A-G-I-N-S.com. Use promo code QCity15 to get a free consultation. Now on to the betting portion, my favorite portion, give me props. I entered the week at 26 and 15, 63%. I went exactly 500 this week. <laughs> and so I ended the week at 29 and 18 for 63%. It was a three and three type of week. Um, for the Charlotte game, I took the Hawks in the over. And I went one and one in that one because the Hawks lost. Then for the next game at Minnesota, I took the Hawks in the under. Minnesota decided to actually freaking score. And so I got the Hawks win and then missed the under. And for the last one, I took the Nets in the over. 
and it ended up being a defensive battle. So I got the Nets win and missed on the over. So three and three, 29 and 18 and 63, uh, keep that 63 percentile, but over 60% is professional betting numbers. Over 60%, you're making a lot of money. And for y'all who was looking out for it, the bottom line with Greg Antoine, we got caught up with a little production issues. So it will be coming out this week on Thursday. It'll be our inaugural episode. Um, but he w- he's going to explain that like 60%, that's making money. That is making real money in the betting world. So... Follow me for picks for anything on QCity11 on Twitter and Instagram and QCity Media on Insta and Twitter. Both both those are coming out. Uh, QCity Media. I'm basically following like my whole friends list. So just look out for me. You'll see me. Go ahead. Give me a follow back. Give me a shout out. Give me a retweet. Uh, that's where most of my bets and picks are going to come from because the bottom line with Greg Antoine will be on that feed. My football picks for this week. I entered the week at 15 and 16. So just a tick of under 500. I got Kyle Pitts receptions three and a half over. Uh, Chuba Hubbard total rushing and receiving yards 76 and a half under. Matt Ryan throw an interception or a .5 interception over. Total kicking points for Koo six and a half took the over. And as a bonus pick, Cam under 17 and a half completions. Now, just just a throwaway, just a just out there in the world. If you got a couple bucks, you want to throw on it. Hurts for a touchdown, plus twenty two hundred odds. It's the odds are too juicy on it. Just if you put a couple little dollars on it, you might get a little break. That's all I'm saying. Bet responsibly. Know your limits. Don't ever put yourself or your family in danger, and have fun with it. Enjoy your vices. Look out for me on Twitter and Instagram at QCity11, also QCity Media, and look out for us this Thursday, The Bottom Line with Greg Antoine. Now on to some city talk. One of the the things I was looking at was college basketball in the city of Atlanta. We have a rich, deep sports history in the city of Atlanta but not many championships to show for it. And I think, obviously, we have a bunch of trans transits to the town. You know what I'm saying? A bunch of people who are not native to the city of Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard to really get those deep roots in the college spectrum, in the college space. You know what I'm saying? If you move up to um, Athens, most Georgia Bulldog fans fans of basketball football tennis lacrosse whatever at that school have been fans for generations and and i say that a bunch of times because in college basketball as as a whole the sport is dying as a whole the sport in itself is dying and so to have like serious college basketball fans is unique You look at the city of Atlanta and the college basketball that it does have, we have two schools, Georgia Tech and Georgia State. I won't count Moorhead, Spellman, all of them. They play in a lower tier conference, so the basketball there isn't like, in no disrespect to those athletes, it's not high-level college basketball, and I don't have the attention span to follow it. I'm not even finna lie to you. I respect y'all, 
you know, still athletes, student athletes, I appreciate everything y'all doing. I don't have the bandwidth to follow it. Because I barely got the bandwidth to follow Georgia Tech. I, I keep an eye on Georgia State. It's my alma mater. Um, you know, I didn't. I did not graduate. I'm not going to lie. But it's my alma mater. So I, I like to keep tabs on them in football and in basketball. Georgia State is 6-3 and three right now. They're in the Sun Belt Conference with, like, South Alabama, Texas State, them. In their whole history, they've got, like, off the top of my head, one player of note to go to the uh, NBA. And that was, like, 2014, 2015, RJ. RJ. And I think he went to Boston. He do with the towel on him. He, he had the towel on him. And he was looking real sus in Boston. It was that dude. He came from Georgia State. He had a really good tournament, and he ended up getting drafted. Other than that, Georgia State doesn't have, like, a great history of sending players to the NBA. And I feel like that directly impacts the fa- like impacts them having a bunch of fans. Because, like, when you look at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech has a rich basketball history. And they've been down for a couple years now. But they've had players like Bosch, Dennis Scott, um, Stephon Marbury. They've had players come through Georgia Tech. So even, and they're in a big conference. Georgia State's in the Sun Belt. Georgia Tech is in the ACC. You know what I'm saying? So like, obviously football pays all the bills all the time. That's that's not even like a, a wild or new thing or whatnot. But Georgia Tech's basketball is good enough to break even. And possibly even gain a little money. Whereas Georgia State's basketball is being completely subsidized by its football. Because outside of, what, two trips to the NCAA tournament? Georgia State is probably in the red every year. I would love for college basketball to come up in the city of Atlanta. But I think it's going to have to come up through Georgia Tech. And right now, they're not looking good in the ACC. They're like barely above 500. So... And Duke runs that conference right now. I love the teams. I expect to see more from them. And hopefully the city of Atlanta can be good in all their sports. We're already world champs in basketball. Let's see what we could do in, uh, I guess the city of Atlanta claims the Bulldogs, even though they're in Athens. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see how the college football playoff goes. But in college basketball, I would love to see, you know, Georgia State and Georgia Tech really come up as programs. Eventually, I would love to see Georgia State in the SEC. I don't think that would happen because of football reasons. And the SEC has the uh, has the ability to, if you're in a state, veto another school from that state joining. That's why Georgia Tech never joined the SEC. Miami never joined the SEC. Florida State never joined the SEC because University of Florida. Um, what's it called? That, ty- that type of stuff. Because if you're in the state, you want to have that recruiting edge and whatnot. So I don't think for football reasons, Georgia will ever allow Georgia State to enter the SEC. I'm not sure if the ACC has the same rule, but we'll see, you know, how the conference settles or whatnot. So moving from the Sun Belt, the only place I can see them going possibly is the uh, MAC Conference or the Atlantic 10, you know, in purely for basketball reasons i would want them to go to the aac if they were to move because the aac has like cincinnati Tulane, that type you know it's it's mid-major it's mid-conference but it's a high non-power five so i would love to see 
Georgia State go there, match him in football and in basketball. And I, I think that's the highest level as as an institution they're going to be able to reach based on where they are and what conferences would let them in. So, you know, let's see, let's see the city of Atlanta's basketball come up. The next point, it was a, it was funny to me. So I made the Facebook post that I've been saying since draft night, Trey versus Lucas and even Trey, not even going to go down that rabbit hole again. Um, but the day I made the post, ESPN was putting up a graphic on first take and they were like, is the Trey versus Luca trade, you know, closer than we think. And I'm like, it's funny because I, I seen this literally on draft night, definitely after the first year. So it was funny to me that like, oh, y'all are just now catching on. Obviously, I follow the team much more closely than you know random people at espn do they they more so focus on national brands but the whole premise of it was the fact that trey and luca are always going to be connected 100 percent. and it got me thinking about like what players do we think of in draft classes that are always connected what is the outcome of that how has it affected other other drafts and what what's going to be the next thing going forward. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, Trey and Luca. The a couple names I, I came up with. Jordan and Bowie. So obviously, they took Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan. Terrible, terrible decision in hindsight. You drafted an injury prone player for like one of the greatest players of all time. The thing about it was, it wasn't a wild pick at the time. You took the big over the wing. The big just happened to be injury prone. You know what I'm saying? But Sam Bowie was a beast in college. And no one thought that a small shooting guard, you know, a 6'6 shooting guard, he wasn't 7 foot, was going to take over and dominate the league. No matter how good he could score in college. You saw it played out years and years later when the Trailblazers took Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. It made sense at the time. Like, I don't think for a second anyone in Portland's organization thought that Kevin Durant wasn't going to be good. They just thought Greg Oden was easier to build around and better. Now, you got to think about it. They had LaMarcus Aldridge, Brandon Roy, and Damian Lillard come through when what would have been Greg Oden's prime. Brandon Roy was already on that team. That would have been... Uh, so was LaMarcus. It would have been a starting five would have been Damian Lillard at the one, Brandon Roy at the two, not really sure who at the three, LaMarcus Aldridge at the four, and Greg Oden at the five. That would have been a bomb squad type of team. Just couldn't stay healthy. But it made sense to draft that guy in that moment. So, like, yeah, history repeated itself, but you still took the big guy over. Kevin Durant was always viewed as a wing, even though he was big. So, I, I don't think that choosing Bowie over Jordan had a huge effect on how people draft uh, overall. When I look at another one, Melo and Milicic. 
Detroit chose Darko Milicic over Carmelo Anthony. The big European prospect, you know what I'm saying? Overseas kind of, you know, wild, don't really know what he is out there, but he can be really good over the proven American commodity that can score. Because Carmelo was getting buckets at Syracuse. I think that has directly impacted why people still to this day don't overvalue European players. Like there's there's an aversion to European players. Because if they're honest, Luca should have went one over DeAndre Ayton. There's an aversion to European players. But there are still teams out there who choose European players over domesticated products who go to school. Prime example, Ricky Rubio and Steph Curry. Ricky Rubio was seen as the prize. Like people always talk about, oh, they picked like picked two point guards over Curry. Johnny Flynn was, and this is going to sound crazy, but if you were there, you know I'm telling the truth. Johnny Flynn was viewed in the same light as Steph Curry. Like he was, I want to say a two or three year guard at Syracuse. He had made deep NCAA playoff runs. He was crazy fast. So like, and you thought at the time, even with like the seventh or eighth pick, that he was going to be a backup point guard at worst. At worst, he was going to be a backup point guard. No one, if everybody knew that Steph Curry was going to be a two-time MVP, three-time champ, uh, all-time three-point leader in in the next couple weeks here, of course, he would have went one. <clears throat> he would have went one in that draft over Blake Griffin. So just no, 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 no. Don't don't shit on people for choosing Johnny Flynn because like at the time they were viewed in the same light. But Ricky Rubio was seen as the prize of those back-to-back Timberwolves picks over proven college production. They picked him over Johnny Flynn because that European allure just kind of grabs people. So I don't feel like that drafting philosophy has overly changed. One draft philosophy that I felt has held extremely, extremely true true, was the overall production do-it-all player over the crazy athletic wing. And it was a precedent set in this last draft. Most drafts, Jalen Green would have went one. Jalen Green was Derrick Rose in the sense of like hyper-athletic guard play. Like you pick that guy and you just figure out everything else. But Detroit chose Cade Cunningham this year. And I think it's kind of moving toward that whole Luke, because his game is a lot like Luca, where it's slow mo. You're not gonna speed me up. I'm gonna see the whole floor. I'm gonna take and draw fouls, hit timely threes. He's not a crazy shot creator, but he's always in the right place at the right time type of player. He's not. He's athletic, and he's very athletic compared to the normal person. But he's not so athletic that it overwhelms you. You know what I'm saying? Like Jalen Green is. I would love to see that trend continue. I feel like skill as a basketball player should outweigh athleticism. And nine times out of ten, skill usually beats athleticism. That's why you see guys who are athletic get better with age when their athleticism decreases and they have to actually learn the game. One of two things happens. 
they either fall completely off a cliff or they get better with like like fine wine with age they get better with time the last one came from a facebook group and it wasn't even a hawks facebook group it was a falcons one but we got to talking about the hawks and it was basically a question of like how long are you should you be in a rebuild and when do you trade i'm gonna i'm gonna skip the macro view and just talk about the hawks in this situation i don't feel like you trade anyone right now you get healthy Health is paramount, is super important for where you are right now because you can't fully assess or evaluate your team for where you are without being healthy. Now, being in the Eastern Conference Finals was a good and bad thing. One, you got a lot of experience and you learned how to get there. You learned how to get to that point. That's where you want to be. That's the bar. That's the standard. That's cool. We love that. That's what we want to do. On the flip side, Last year, we should not have beat Philly. They imploded in game seven. But the second round was where you were supposed to be last year, which gives you a... We were supposed to be around a six to seven seed. We ended up getting in at the uh, five. And we were supposed to go out in the second round. You were supposed to beat the Knicks. You, uh, I saw you beating the Knicks last year. Depending on your matchup, I saw you getting out of the first round. You weren't supposed to get past Philly. It's supposed to be Philly versus the winner of Nets Bucks. And winner winner was probably gonna win the finals. That was it was all set up. You beat Philly because they had internal problems. But you should really be evaluating your team on a second round basis. How do we get to the next level? Which would be the conference championship game. You won two games in the conference championship game, but you gotta realize they lost their best player. You lost at a you got blown out and you lost a fourth quarter lead in another one. You lost a couple fourth quarter leads against Philly. And Philly has beat you both times this year. I think you have to have a reasonable expectation of what kind of team you are. You're supposed to be. And it's gonna seem like a step back this year, but I feel like we need to be pushing to for a top four seed. But with these injuries and whatnot, I feel like we're gonna fall around five, six. I honestly believe we're going to lose in the second round this year. And that's not a terrible thing. That's where you're supposed to be along the rebuild. You got to think. Trey was drafted in 18. You make the playoffs in your third year. Your first playoff run, you go to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a lot. Usually in your first playoff run, you get blown out. You lose in the first round. This will be your second playoff run coming up in your fourth year. I think it's more than reasonable to say that you lose in the second round. And then next year, you're bringing back a team in which everybody has got signed. And Atlanta is super young. Atlanta is super young. Out of the eight rotational players, six of them are on rookie extensions. Six of them. Young, Collins, Herder, um, Hunter, Reddish and no, that's it. Five of them. That is a lot. They're either on rookie contracts or rookie. Oh, Anegwu. Anegwu. I was about to say, I knew it was six. Out, out of last year's playoff run. Think about that. They're either on rookie contracts or on rookie extensions. 
That is an incredibly young team. We're not even supposed to be winning like this, and we are. And that is reference to the fact that Trey is a bona fide superstar. Doesn't change the fact that we've got to temper our expectations and be realistic about where this team is along the rebuild process. It's a second round type of year, but I do think getting seeding is important because it shows you how to manage throughout the regular season. I love the Hawks. I definitely feel like this is going to be a good week. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all you do. Uh, like, follow, share, subscribe, subscribe, like, follow, share. Bam. Like it. Um, look for me at QCD11 on Instagram and Twitter, QCD Media on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe to us on the bottom line this Thursday, coming out with Greg Antoine. And follow me. Follow me. Appreciate all that y'all do, man. I appreciate y'all. In, in the inbox so I you know have things for city talk I'll shout you out on the show uh just appreciate y'all listening man appreciate everything you do enjoy the ride catch you next week I'ma rob a fucking narrow. Yo, little logs, I'ma put you on payroll. You smell that aroma? Design it, yeah, it's a party, yo. Pop a corona? She moving the body, she working them heels. Gotta go get him mentality. Grocery bag full of celery. Only believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 on in case emergency. I wake up early every morning. Thank the Lord and get the bag. Hustle hard, get the cash. That first, then I'll show him my ass. Gotta go get it mentality. Grocery bag full of celery. On a believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 on me case emergency. My babies, that's who I grind for. That's who I do it for. Like the Navy, that's who I'm toting that iron for. Keep one in the head like a thought, nigga. Yeah, I fuck with Ty, he a boss, nigga. Put on that nick, I exhaust, nigga. Niggas cross me, so I cross, nigga. No scripture was lit last night. 500, what it cost, nigga. Shit was really legit last night. Had them hoes at the house, nigga. Instagram, Snapchat, Triller. What they say about Jay, he a go-getter. Used to have them fat sacks in the grove, nigga. Late nights, early morning, my dough, nigga. You smell that aroma? Design it, yeah, it's a party, yeah. Papa Corona, she moving the body, she working them heels. Gotta go get him mentality. Grocery bag full of celery. Only believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 